Today on the Political Science Deniers podcast, we are taking a deep dive into the first RNC national debate. We'll talk about all of the issues that they talked about, and we'll overview the race and see where everyone stands. As well, in this week's Political Science Denial, we are going to look at the Barbie film one last time and its success at the box office. Culture has told us that it is a great thing that Barbie has experienced so much success. Hollywood should make more movies by women and for women, or so we're told. We'll talk about why they shouldn't and why the Barbie film was actually a disaster for our culture. Um, all of that and more today on the Political Science Deniers podcast. So without further ado, let's get into the debate. So this debate really is more about the issues than it is the candidates. Uh, to be honest, I don't think that the debate, any of the debates are going to matter. I think that it has been a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee for some time. That's not really a bold thing to say. Most people who follow politics would tell you that. Uh, nonetheless, though, we do have a race that is being run. Really, one of the problems with the race, outside of the fact that it's a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump is going to get the nomination, is that there's just simply too many candidates. The only way that it would even be close, maybe, and I, and I still don't think it would be very close, but the only way it would even be close is if everyone, except for either Ron DeSantis or Vivek, dropped out. Uh, then perhaps in a one-on-one, -on -one they could challenge Donald Trump um, but even then, there's just not enough people in the GOP that are willing to abandon Donald Trump as the nominee, especially after all of these bogus charges that he's facing and the obvious political persecution that he and his lawyers and his friends have been facing at the hands of the Democrats, both at the state level and at the federal level. Um, so, you know, people aren't going to abandon him. There are a lot of people who would maybe prefer another candidate, uh, even people like me who, who like Donald Trump and think that he was a good president, though he certainly could have been better, uh, but would still prefer someone like a Ron DeSantis or a Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, I know that there's some people like that. The polling shows that there are people who would prefer either one of those to Donald Trump, but there's just not going to be enough of them. So even in a one-on-one -on -one matchup, I don't think it would make much of a difference uh, it would certainly be closer, maybe give Donald Trump something to think about, maybe make him attend a debate, but it really doesn't matter because that's not going to happen. We know how these things work. People get in the race, they get money, they get publicity, they get fame, uh, they get their name out there, and so you have people on the stage who have not a prayer at actually winning the nomination like an Asa Hutchinson or a Chris Christie, and yet they're there anyway, either because they have inflated egos uh, or, or perhaps and, because they know that they will uh, get more money the longer that they stay in the race and that they'll become more famous and perhaps uh, be able to be better position themselves for a cabinet position or another higher political office, depending on where they were before. So they're, they're not going to drop out, at least not um, in the foreseeable future, I wouldn't say. Not all of them will anyway. And that's, the, that's really what makes the... the, the race so irrelevant as far as the candidates go. But why the debate is interesting and why we're going to take a deep dive into the debate today is because of the actual issues that are being discussed. See, if the debate does anything, 
uh, hopefully the debate makes people, makes average Republicans look at these issues and, and force us to decide, okay, where do we stand on something like Ukraine? Where do we stand on something like the culture war? Is there a generational divide between millennial conservatives and Gen X or boomer conservatives? Um, certainly, as we will see throughout this review, there is a divide. And so the debate, though it is pointless um, as far as the candidates go, it was certainly beneficial to get these issues out there to an audience of tens of million and million, tens of millions and, and to make us discuss uh, the, these issues. So, okay, let's go through the, the candidates very quickly. Uh, Ron DeSantis, you know, back in January, he was polling fairly closely to Donald Trump before he had announced. And many people like myself were hopeful that perhaps he could take the nomination from Donald Trump. Now, I know that this is a fairly new podcast, so just to put my position out there, I am not anti-Donald Trump. Um, in fact, I think he was, as Vivek said in the debate, the best president of the 21st century. Fairly low bar since there's only three others, but still... Um, I think he was he was the best, and life was certainly good under Trump. The economy was booming, gas was cheap, there were no new wars that were started. We got three decent <laughs> Supreme Court justices, uh, certainly were not the best. I would prefer three Clarence Thomases to be put on there, but uh, you know they were certainly better than what Hillary Clinton would have appointed. And so overall, I think that Donald Trump has been a, a great uh, president for the country. Um, it's not his fault as far as some of the division that he has supposedly caused, according to the media. Um, I think that the media is largely to blame for that division. The media is to blame for the existence of Donald Trump as a political candidate in the first place, because even people like Mitt Romney, uh, they they said that people like him, Joe Biden, of course, uh, said that in the, in the VP debate, that, that Mitt Romney was going to put black people back in chains. And this was part of the... Um, presidential campaign, of course, that Barack Obama was running that would uh, set rest, race relations back about 50 years in this country. And so I blame Barack Obama's second term. He didn't run like that in the first term. Uh, he was more hopeful, of course, in 2008. But in 2012, uh, Obama's campaign tore the country apart. I would say I would say that the media, of course, is largely to blame. And the whole reason that we got Donald Trump is because the media was portraying things in this certain way. Barack Obama was attacking us in this certain way. And who did we have to fight for us? Uh, Mitt Romney, the most milquetoast human being to ever exist. So people were tired of that. And then they gave us Donald Trump because everyone was tired of the status quo. And they sensed that we needed something different than a, a Jeb Bush to go to Washington, D.C. And so I don't necessarily blame Donald Trump. I mean, obviously... He did not always act as he should have. Uh, there are certain things that he says and does that are hilarious, but are certainly, you know, I would say before modern times, should have been beneath the office of the presidency. Um, nonetheless, though, I do not necessarily blame him for all of this. Again, I blame the media, Obama, and, and all, of, all of those kinds of people. Um, but nonetheless, I think that 2024 is going to be an absolute mess if Donald Trump is the nominee. So beyond policy that we could get into and beyond personality type stuff and who could maybe win in the general election, Vivek, who would be my choice, uh, or Trump, who would be a better candidate, all of that stuff 
you know, is irrelevant in and of itself because what should make us want a nominee other than Donald Trump, in my opinion, is the fact that they are indicting him on these federal charges, on these state charges. Uh, I would say that it's a good possibility that he is going to be taken off the ballot in places like Michigan, uh, places like perhaps Minnesota. Uh, so I, I, and I don't think that that's all right. I think that that's wrong. I think that that's evil. And I don't think that it's, it's fair. I mean, there's, there's really no other way to say it. It's evil. We're dealing with communists here who are doing this to Donald Trump. Um, but at the same time, we still have to keep an eye on winning. And I just, I, I think that Donald Trump on a national level is just too polarizing to a lot of suburban voters. And although they would hope, I'm assuming they would try to rig the election against any Republican, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks when it comes to mail-in ballots and all of that good stuff that they may try to implement again. Even though they would try to do that to any Republican, they're definitely going to be more successful in rigging this against Donald Trump. I just think it's going to be a mess with him going through all of these trials. I saw today that one of the trials was set for the day before Super Tuesday um, in the in the Republican primary. So. He's going to be going through all this in 2024, and I just don't think it is wise or prudent for us to put him as the nominee. I think whatever candidate, and they, they did discuss this in the debate, whatever candidate we put forward should pledge to on day one pardon Donald Trump. And again, I would not mind to see another four years of him myself. It's just, is it going to happen? I think it's going to be insanely difficult for him to actually be the nominee given all of the charges against him, even though they are bogus. Still, you'll have, you know how it is, people who don't really pay attention to politics, they'll just see on the news, oh, Donald Trump did this, he's a criminal, he must be guilty, we can't elect somebody that's a criminal, and so they would not vote for him. Uh, and that's in addition to, of course, all of the legal obstacles that he's going to face, where again, it's likely they could try to take him off the ballot in some of these swing states. So. Long story short, I would prefer Vivek. Um, but back to Ron DeSantis, how this all started, he was pulling close to Donald Trump. And some of us were hopeful that he might actually get the nomination. Of course, it turns out that he is a breadstick. He has, he has no charisma. He has no personality, which I personally don't care about. But if you're going to let anyone with a pulse vote, like we do today, then unfortunately, who you would enjoy drinking a beer with, that's going to be a lot of people's criteria for how they vote. So it's completely irrelevant to some people that he might actually get things done, that he might actually be a, a good president, that he might be able to utilize the power that's given to him by this country to fight back a lot of the nonsense that we've seen in the administrative state um, and in the federal government at large. Uh, it doesn't matter that he might be the best choice or if it was him versus Trump, it doesn't matter that he might be uh, the best choice or if it was him versus uh, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or whatever, whoever it may be. It doesn't really matter that he would so obviously be a better president than they would. The economy would be better. Gas prices would be lower. Uh, you would have less and less of, of the critical theory nonsense in the government. Uh, he would probably do more about the administrative deep state than any other candidate, I would think, in my opinion. And so that doesn't matter, though. Doesn't matter 
because everybody with a pulse is voting and it's a popularity contest in a national election. And he has proven, unfortunately, beyond doubt, that he is just not going to win a popularity contest. And I hate that. And really, his main problem is not just that he's a breadstick, though, of course, that is a problem in a national election at this stage in modern politics. His main problem is also that he is not authentic. He needs to stop with the fake smile thing that you know, you'll know you see on Twitter. If you go watch his clips, he'll say something and it'll come off as very robotic. Now, what he's actually saying is good, but it'll come off as very robotic and, you know, he'll do a fake smile at the end and it'll be really awkward. And so Ron DeSantis, he needs to be more authentic, uh, even though that may not help him enough. He would do much better to just say, you know what, like other others have said this, you know, I, you may want somebody, if you want somebody, let's say, to have a beer with or to party with or, or whatever. Uh, if you want to watch football with somebody, I'm not your guy. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to win that personality contest. But I will go to Washington, D.C. I will get things done just as we have done in the state of Florida. We turned Florida from a swing state to a solidly red state and I have fought big corporations and the wokeness, quote unquote, that people like Disney have put out. I have fought the transing of kids in schools. I will fight the deep state. I will get things done. This is not a personality contest. If you think it's a personality contest, then vote for somebody else. If you would just say that and stop with the fake smile thing, um, he would probably do much better. Because if there's one thing that people can sniff, it is inauthenticity. And it's coming off of him right now, unfortunately. Uh, Vivek, there are some questions about Vivek's past. Um, if you're watching this, you probably are aware of that. You know, he was on the World Economic Forum's website in like 2011 or something. Supposedly he sued him saying he shouldn't have been on it. Something like that. There, there's questions that he has to answer uh, for his past. And I think obviously that will come out as time goes on. He's certainly saying all the right things. But I have known about Vivek even before he entered the race for at least a few years now. He wrote uh, this book, Woke Inc., uh, Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam, which is a funny book, I would say, uh, if you don't you know, take it too seriously, because some of the, I say it's funny because some of the stuff that he describes in here is so absurd that it makes me laugh. Um, but nonetheless, I, I've known about him for a few years now. I've always really liked him. He wasn't always quite as uh, solidly conservative as he has been since he entered the race. Though, of course, now he is saying all of the right things. He's very in tune with the internet culture. He knows what people on the right want to hear, and he's saying it. Does he really believe all of it? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows right now. It almost seems too good to be true for a lot of people, and so I will I will provide caution as well in, in, in endorsing him, but as far as I'm concerned, at least if I'm going by the things that people have said, and if they can actually win in a general election, Vivek is my choice. He, to me, he's just so much smarter uh, than everyone else up there except for Ron DeSantis, though, of course, as we've said, he doesn't have the personality. Vivek has the personality. He has started multi, multi-billion dollar companies. Um, he, he is... I think, I think he understands things like critical theory. Uh, he understands how divisive and destructive they are to Western society. He understands the benefits of capitalism, but also 
Uh, of course, when you read his book, Woke Inc., he understands some of the shortcomings of capitalism as well. Uh, and so anyway, he, he's just, to me, he's a great candidate. He's 38. He's young. He understands the moment that we are in. We'll talk about what he said as far as some of the culture war stuff goes as we get toward the end of the debate review. Uh, but he's my guy. He's who I think should be the nominee. Um, he won't be because Trump will be, but nonetheless, uh, he's up there. Asa Hutchinson from my home state of Arkansas, governor, useless, doesn't need to be up there. Um, not really much else to say. Polls at like 0%. I don't even know how he got up there. I guess he met some bare minimum threshold to get up there onto the stage. But um, yeah, not, not a good guy. Not really a conservative in any sense of the word. There's the North Dakota guy who I swore I was going to remember his name, but I don't remember his name. Um, he said some very stupid things at the debate. So the only reason I bring him up is because he said something in particular about the 10th Amendment as it relates to abortion. And so we will talk about that. Um, but he's you know, just another one of those guys. Like He has no chance of winning. We no, Nobody knows why he's up there, I guess, just to get his name out there, which is ironic because I don't remember his name. Then you have Chris Christie. We all know why he's there. Vengeance against Donald Trump. Um, had some potential, I would say, uh, about 10 years ago, but obviously um, he's not going to win anything now. Tim Scott. Tim Scott, nice guy. Would have been a great president in the 90s, but is certainly not who we need right now. He's, he's not the fighter that we need. Uh, Nikki Haley, pretty much the same as Tim Scott, except she's more of a warmonger. Uh, so I would say that she is she is more um, she has more negatives than Tim Scott though I think overall she probably would have been a good president in the 90s but as we'll see she is certainly not who we need as president right now and then of course you have Mike Pence who you know what else can you say um, he's not going to win a general election he doesn't have the charisma he I, I obviously like some of the things that he says. Um, but he also is somebody who's, I guess, a bit of a warmonger. He's a bit more hawkish in his personality. He represents that boomer wing of the conservative uh, GOP where they're more into interventionism and nation building. And Mike Pence is certainly um, representative of that. But so anyway, I don't think he really has a chance to win. So won't talk about him a whole lot. We will talk about one of the things he said about abortion, though, and about foreign policy, because those will be important. All right, so let's start with foreign policy. Uh, foreign policy, we, we wouldn't normally vote on foreign policy in an election. Typically, we would vote on something like the economy because that's what's going to most impact us as individuals and as families. So usually, that would be what's front and center. And it probably is still front and center now, but I do think that foreign policy in this particular election is going to be more important than most other elections, or at least it should be, because I think what's going on in, in Ukraine right now is, is very dangerous. So there's two sides to this, this whole GOP foreign policy debate. There's what we might call the establishment as represented by what we might call the boomers. Uh, they are, they're hawkish. They want to intervene. They want to build nation states. You will have Nikki Haley saying things like America uh, doesn't need Israel, but Israel or, or uh, Israel doesn't need America. America needs Israel, you know? And, and so you, you'll have people like her saying that kind of, that kind of stuff. 
Um, you'll you'll have people like that who will say that we have to stop Vladimir Putin because Vladimir Putin is going to try to conquer the world. He's trying to reestablish the old Soviet Union. He is trying to um, steamroll through Europe. And then after Europe, who knows? You know, he might just take over the whole world. <laughs> that's, I mean, I, I don't know if that's exactly how they would frame it, though Nikki Haley is going to frame it somewhat like that, as we're going to see here in just a minute. But that's basically one side of the debate, is that we need to intervene. We need to fight the Russians in a proxy war within Ukraine. The Ukrainian uh, government is is democratic. Uh, it is pro-American. And it's certainly not corrupt in any way. And if you say that, then you are a Putin stooge, <laughs> is basically what the Democrats will now say, which is ironic. They were supposed to be liberals. There's nothing liberal about democratic foreign policy now. Uh, but also the hawkish conservative GOP establishment will say similar things. If you don't want to fight the Russians in Ukraine, then you are an evil person, you are immoral, and you probably worship Vladimir Putin. <laughs> and they'll try, to, they'll try to make these parallelisms between what Reagan said about arming, the, uh, arming people to fight the communists so we don't have to send soldiers. They'll try to make a parallelism between that and what we see today with uh, Vladimir Putin and his invasion of Ukraine. Of course, this is nonsense. Um, it's, it's simplistic. It's elementary level thinking. And we'll talk about why that is in just a minute. The other side of this debate is more of the millennial, the, the new right, the more isolationist side of the conservative GOP. And that's people like me, people who don't think that we have any business in Ukraine. We shouldn't be there. Not only should we not be there, but really we can't be there. And, and that's really the, the crux of the matter is, you know, you can't make a parallelism between 1980s and the 2020s. I know everybody in the, the more establishment side of the GOP wants to do that. They want to quote Reagan and all of this stuff, but you can't because America is in a very different position. America is like 38 trillion or whatever it is now in debt. Our cities are crumbling. We have nothing in common anymore as a nation. We, we can't even agree on what a man is or what a woman is. We can't even agree that you shouldn't actually kill an eight-month-old baby that's in the womb. I mean, we, we can't even agree on these things. We, we, we can't even agree that we should close down the southern border, that illegal immigration is a bad thing. We can't agree that Christianity is actually a good thing anymore. Um, there's not really much that is holding us together in America, at least on a national level. Now, obviously, certain communities and states even perhaps are, are closer and still hold things in common. But on a national level, what does California have in common with Texas? I don't think you can say very much. What does New York have in common with Alabama? Now, there's always been differences, certainly, but there's hardly anything in common now. It's like two totally different countries. And so you have as far as our economy goes, it's on the brink. We're trillions and trillions in debt. We are in no position to be nation building. So even if you said nation building is a good thing 
We should intervene everywhere that we can. We should establish democracy, quote unquote, wherever we can. Even if you think that's what we should do, it's not what we can do. Now, I don't think we should do that. I don't think these people, like a Joe Biden, have the first clue about various cultures in the Middle East. These people, like a Nikki Haley, they can't, they can't fathom what these other cultures actually believe. They think that they can just go in, teach some gender studies classes in Afghanistan, and just change everyone there. That's not how this works. We don't understand their cultures completely, myself included, certainly. We should not be intervening in their business. So I don't think we should be doing this. I think there's always unintended consequences. That's why I think the isolationists usually usually get right. Though, you know, sometimes I guess you do need to intervene. I'm not saying that there's never a time where you can intervene. Like, you know, if China was to attack Taiwan and we depend on Taiwan for our modern way of life because of the the chips the that they that they give us, um, then. Perhaps you can make a case that, well, we absolutely have to defend Taiwan because otherwise we will quite literally give up our modern way of life if China were to to take them over. Um, I don't know if that's a good argument. I'm saying that is at least an argument that can be made where Taiwan may be directly linked to our interests. But if the, if the interest is just, well, we've got to establish democracy in some place and we've got to defend democracy, that's not a reason. Nobody knows what it means. When they say that the Ukrainian government is pro-American, well, maybe that's because Obama and the CIA overthrew the last Ukrainian government in 2014 and instated a new one that was pro-American. And that has itself, of course, caused tension with Russia ever since. Um, So defending democracy doesn't mean anything. Um, Do do we, are are we democratic in America? I don't know. We, We now apparently imprison people on the opposite end of the political spectrum simply simply because we disagree with them because of their politics is somewhere like Canada, Australia, a democracy where they were completely totalitarian during COVID and even now? Um, I mean, I don't know. Are they democracies? I, I don't think so. Should we invade Canada and make them be one? No. But if you think that we should defend democracy, then maybe, you know, we should invade Canada first before we start invading the Middle East. The point is, This other side of the GOP foreign policy, not establishment, but I guess the opposition, we don't think that we should be other places predominantly, and we don't think that we can. Even if we should, we don't think that we can. And so these are going to be the two positions that are represented by people in this debate and by people, I mean Vivek, is going to be the only one that represents the more of the isolationist wing. And everyone else, even Ron DeSantis, who I very much like, he is hawkish in his personality, in his uh, foreign policy, thinking that we should arm the Ukrainians and, and prolong this war. So, so let's get to that. So, so they're all asked, all the candidates are asked, who is going to um, withhold money? from the Ukrainians. Is there anyone who would actually withhold funding from the Ukrainians? And of course, Vivek raises his hand um, high and proud. DeSantis kind of does this, you know, like sorta. But really, he then says, well, Europe should pull their weight. 
This is a fundamental misunderstanding of the issue. And it's honestly disappointing to see from DeSantis. It's not that Europe should pull their weight. Nikki Haley, excuse me, pointed out that if you go by percentage of GDP, the United States has only given like the 11th most aid to Ukraine, which again is way too much in my opinion. But, but it is still less than some others have given. It's not that Europe should pull their weight. It's that nobody should be pulling their weight. (laughs) It's that the war should end. Any politician who is talking about prolonging the Ukrainian war is absolutely clueless about what what it is is going on in Ukraine and what could happen if it is continued, uh, if it continues to be prolonged. Any politician who says that Europe should give more or we should give more, we should keep funding this war, we should keep fighting the Russians via the Ukrainians is an idiot. And, and I don't, I guess I normally wouldn't want to use such harsh language because sometimes people can have legitimate disagreements about policy issues. But we are talking about World War III. We are talking about nuclear armed countries here. This is not Iraq. This is not. This is not 1921. Okay, we, we are in a position where if the war continues to escalate and Russia feels legitimately threatened, they have the nuclear capacity to end the world as we know it. And if everyone thinks that Vladimir Putin is such an evil, crazy person, which apparently is what everyone thinks, then why would, why would you continue to prolong a war with that guy? If you have an evil, crazy person that has the nuclear capacity to literally end the world as you know it, why would you prolong an engagement with that person? Why would you not be doing everything that you can do to stop that war? And that's what Vivek said. He said, yeah, you know, we need to, we need to secure our own border. We have other things to worry about here. But even he did not say this. And, and, and that really, it's troubling that no one said this. Russia is a nuclear-armed superpower. If they feel threatened, they will use nukes. And the longer that you prolong a war with them, they are going to be more and more likely to launch what people call a tactical nuke. We should be looking for an off-ramp. And an off-ramp does not look anything like, well, Europe should give more. Well, we should give more. That's not what should be happening right now. We should be trying to negotiate or get Zelensky to negotiate a peace immediately. And any other answer is foolish and it quite literally risks the world as we know it. So the Mike Pence's, the Nikki Haley's, even the Ron DeSantis of the world, we need to get it through our heads that this is not a game. This is not, this is not 1921, though it certainly wasn't a game then, but there were no nukes in play. This is not Iraq where we can just apparently do whatever we want and not really face many consequences. We can kill a million uh, brown people and no one cares, apparently. The Iraq war was good. Yes, it was good. It's what we're told. We're told by people like Nikki Haley that the people who got us into that war, we should listen to them. We need an off-ramp. You're dealing with a crazy evil person. That's what we are all told about Vladimir Putin negotiate peace. Now, of course, 
Nikki Haley, she says, uh, and she and Vivek have this exchange. You've probably seen it on the internet. Um, she says, you know, in our foreign policy, we have to know good and evil. So, so we're, we're moralizing the issue now. Again, it's like I said, if you don't want to arm the Ukrainians, then you are evil. That's what Nikki Haley says. We have to know good from evil. And if we don't know good from evil, then you can't be the president. We have to know that, that the Ukrainians are pro-American and Vladimir Putin is evil and you, Vivek, are choosing an evil, murderous dictator over the Ukrainian people. Really? Nikki Haley. He's choosing Vladimir Putin over the Ukrainian people because he wants to negotiate a peace? Those of us who want to negotiate a peace, we are choosing... The, 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 the Vladimir Putin over the Ukrainians? No, actually, you are the reason. People like you and your thought process, you are the reason that Ukrainians keep dying. If this war would have been settled a year ago, if, if the Russians would have been brought to the table a year ago and some sort of compromise would have been made, then we could have saved thousands and thousands of lives and potentially um, all kinds of, of land and, and the lives of all of these refugees. I think it's like, over 10 million now that have fled Ukraine. Ukraine. Ukraine is desolate now. It has been devastated. People that want to prolong the war, like you, Nikki Haley, you are costing people their lives, both Russians and Ukrainians. Now, this is not to excuse what Vladimir Putin has done. I don't ever want to see anyone invade another country. I'm as anti-war as war gets. And yes, Vladimir Putin does murder oftentimes his political enemies. I don't think anyone is saying that Vladimir Putin is a good person. But guess what? We are dealing with all kinds of bad people on the world stage. And it's not always going to be exactly the way that you think it should be. Sometimes you have to negotiate with bad actors and bad people. But it's not the moral thing to do to just prolong the war and continue to allow all of these people to die. That is certainly not the moral thing. The moral thing to do is to try to end the war to the best of our capacity. Escalating a war with a nuclear power is not moral. Is it moral to neglect our own people? as we send money over to Ukraine. This is another issue that's brought up. Why don't we secure our own border? Why don't we take care of our own people, our own cities, our own homeless vets, all, all of that? All of these things are, are brought up in the debate. And people like Mike Pence, people like Nikki Haley, they say, well, we can do both at the same time. Are we doing both at the same time? Can we do both at the same time? The answer is no, we do not have the resources. We do not have the money to be printing more of it to send to Ukraine. We are in no position to do both at the same time. On top of it being immoral to prolong a controversy, a war, with a nuclear-armed Russia. None of that is moral. I don't know where this idea that it is moral to fight the Russians with the Ukrainian lives has come from. It's really easy for us to say, I suppose. Well, we should prolong the war. The Ukrainians will fight it for us. Is that good? Especially considering that they have no chance to win on their own? 
And this is where Nikki Haley, this is where Nikki Haley really shows her hand. And this is where this interventionist GOP establishment really shows their hand. Because Nikki Haley says that Putin has said that once he conquers Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. <laughs> Which I'm watching it and I'm thinking, no, he, he didn't say that. So of course I'm Googling it. He nowhere said it. Some crazy guy that's supposedly an ally of his or something in Russia said something like that. Vladimir Putin never said this. So, so, so the idea goes like this. Well, we have to stop Putin in Ukraine because if we don't, then he's just gonna he's just gonna go into the rest of Europe. He's just gonna take over the world. He is the next Hitler. <laughs> I mean, do you really? Can we just stop and think for a second? A, he didn't say that. So this this is a flat out whole cloth lie. Um, should we expect this kind of thing from a warmonger like Nikki Haley? Perhaps I guess it's a shame, but maybe we should. It's a whole cloth lie. And it obviously makes no sense. Do you seriously think that Vladimir Putin wants to fight all of NATO? Is that, is that what he wants to do? So he wants to conquer Ukraine and then he wants to go into Poland and have how many ever countries' militaries there are now in NATO attack him? That's what we think he seriously wants to do with a GDP the size of Texas. That's what Vladimir Putin wants. Obviously not. People are so deranged. It's, it's, it's like they get in their mind that somebody is evil, like a Donald Trump. And then you'll see people who maybe were otherwise somewhat rational. You'll see them become so irrational when it comes to talking about somebody like Donald Trump. All nuance is lost. The same thing happens with Vladimir Putin. He's a bad guy. Okay, we all agree. Does that mean that he wants to take on NATO? <laughs> I mean, just, just think about it for two seconds. No, Vladimir Putin doesn't want to cross into Poland to take on NATO. That's why he has been so deliberate and slow in his advance into Ukraine because he wants to keep NATO from his border. And then, of course, there's some other stuff that we don't understand, myself included, like the, the eastern provinces that... I guess some people think should belong to Russia and, and they've been polled. Elon Musk posted it on Twitter that one time where most of them said they wanted to belong to Russia. They speak Russian. We don't understand that conflict. We don't as Americans. I don't. We should not be having a strong opinion about it because we don't understand it. So perhaps that's part of the reason, but we know a big reason is that he does not like NATO pushing forward to his border. Let's do a thought experiment. Others have done this. It's not really that hard. It's not some kind of genius thought experiment that I came up with. Let's say that like China and Russia, along with people like Iraq and Iran and, and some other people that we don't really like, you know, in America, let's say they had an alliance and, and the purpose of the alliance, the alliance was to be explicitly anti-America. Like NATO is explicitly anti-Russia. And let's say that we had those troops in that alliance on our northern border in Canada and in our southern border in Mexico. Oh, and they were in Cuba. 
Would, would America like that? The answer is no. Would America let that happen? I'll tell you the answer is no. The American flag would be flying in Mexico City within a week. If they tried to do that. America would never let that happen. Russia's the same way. There's some other stuff we don't understand. They want to, yes, increase their, um, their influence. Like they said, they want to have the influence that the old Soviet Union had. Doesn't mean they want to be the Soviet Union of old. Obviously, Vladimir Putin has put an emphasis on the Orthodox Church in Russia. The Soviet Union was atheist. They killed all the priests, remember? Um, so it's not that they want to be the Soviet Union. He's just said they want to have the same influence that the Soviet Union perhaps had. Okay, fine. We don't understand all that. They want Crimea. They want some of the eastern provinces. Okay, we don't understand all that. It's not a good thing that they've killed Ukrainians. It's not a good thing that they invaded. It's also not a good thing that NATO pushed up to their border. NATO is an anachronism. It shouldn't even exist. It should have disbanded when the Soviet Union fell. It only serves a purpose now to antagonize the Russians and push us to World War III. That's all NATO is doing. Vladimir Putin is not going to take over the world. He's not going to cross into a NATO country. He doesn't want to do that. He does not want to fight that war. It's not a war he can win and he knows it. He wants Ukraine to be neutral. And quite frankly, that is a reasonable request given our thought experiment. Would we want a hostile government right on our border? The answer is no. So Nikki Haley's whole cloth lie about Vladimir Putin wanting to take over Poland and the Baltics next is just that. It is a lie. It is a dangerous lie. And yes, it is an immoral lie. Mike Pence said something similar. Some say that in this exchange, Nikki Haley shined. She, um, she, this was her moment. She put Vivek in his place. But I couldn't disagree more. Because the entire premise of what she is saying is based on a lie and it is based on something that makes absolutely no sense. That that Vladimir Putin has said and will march into NATO countries, NATO-controlled countries, and um, take them over, then take over Europe, and then take over the world. It's nonsense. doesn't make any sense at all. Um, Vivek said, I have in my notes here, Vivek said that uh, she should enjoy her seat on the boards of uh, Lockheed and Raytheon. And then she said she's not on those boards. And he's like, yeah, but you did leave Boeing, uh, <laughs> uh, the board of Boeing. So I thought that was funny. Ben Shapiro was somebody who said that Nikki Haley put Vivek in his place here. Again, um, disagree with that. If, if you're going to put somebody in their place, what you're saying has to be based on truth not a lie. What she said was based on a lie. It was just made up. All right, let's move on. Well, oh, one more thing, because this, again, the candidates in and of themselves, this doesn't matter. We've already covered that, but this does show you something. And when I said at the beginning that we need somebody more like a Donald Trump or like a Vivek to be president, it's largely because of their tendencies when it comes to foreign policy but it's also because they're willing to defy the establishment. They're willing to deny the political science. If you remember Nikki Haley, when all the George Floyd stuff was going on, she posted the black square on social media. Um, she said, we need to confront systemic racism in this country. Tim Scott, I remember, uh, said something similar. 
look, again, these people, they may be good presidents in the 90s. They would not be good presidents now because they are not willing to do what needs to be done. It's not just a matter of getting a Republican elected. It is a matter of pushing back against this managed decline that we have been in since George W. Bush was president. That's what this is about. So it doesn't really do much good in my opinion. I mean, it may do us some good in the economy and gas prices and things like that. But long term, it's not going to do us much good to get somebody like a Nikki Haley or a Tim Scott in there um, who's not going to, or a Mike Pence, who's not going to fight back against the, the, the true fundamental nonsense that we're seeing from both the left and the more traditional GOP establishment. It's not going to do us much good. All right, let's move on. So we've got abortion. Abortion's the next issue. Um, you've got DeSantis, who said that you know he would he would support heartbeat bills. Um, he, he sort of sort of skirted the question when it came to a federal ban, but he more or less said that. Um, Pence said, yeah, he's all about life. Uh, Nikki Haley, she said that we need to be more practical and we need to have a 15-week, uh, we can propose a 15-week federal ban. And then you have the North Dakota guy who says that the 10th Amendment says there should be basically no limit to abortion. Oh, so let's address the last one first. Yes, the founders anticipated this. Uh, if you know anything about the Constitution, you know that the Federalists, they did not want a Bill of Rights, and the Anti-Federalists did. The Federalists thought that if you gave a Bill of Rights, then it would imply that the government, the federal government, could do anything that was not actually in the Constitution. So as long as the Constitution didn't prohibit it, the Federalists said eventually the federal government would come to interpret the Constitution in that way if there was a Bill of Rights, whereas the Anti-Federalists, they wanted a guarantee of certain rights at the federal level. And in order to kind of combat the Federalists' um, concerns about the Constitution, they included the Tenth Amendment to say essentially you know, if, if it's not delegated to the federal government in this constitution, then it should be just given to the states. So historically, actually, abortion has been left to the states. Largely, that's been the case. Uh, obviously changed with Roe v. Wade. But I don't think that it's a good argument from the North Dakota guy. Though, again, I know, it, I think his heart's in the right place. I mean, like I know he himself... I think passed a heartbeat bill in North Dakota. He's pro-life, which is good. But I don't think it, you can say, well, just because the Constitution doesn't talk about abortion, that means it has to be a, a state law. It has to be left to the states. And that's because even uh, Hamilton, Madison, and John Jay, when they're writing the Federalist Papers, they tell us, you know, you're going to have to use natural law even when interpreting the Constitution. And you can see this in a very simple way. The Constitution doesn't say that it has to be a federal law that you can't murder. <laughs> like, it's a federal law that you can't murder. We know it is, but the Constitution doesn't explicitly give the federal government the right to make that law. But we all know 
that it can't be left to the states if it's something like murder, because natural law tells us that uh, you can't just go around murdering other people. We're all made in God's image. We're, we're guaranteed rights um, by God, and the government is made. The whole purpose of government is to protect those natural rights. So that's the assumption that the founders are working under. So no, they didn't feel like they had to say, oh, you know, it has to be in the Constitution that you can't murder. Okay, so if a baby is eight months developed in the womb, North Dakota guy says, well, if California or Minnesota, if they want to allow an abortion at eight months, well, then, you know, it's their right. It's the 10th Amendment. That's not, it's not how, it's not how you interpret the Constitution. It's not how the founders wanted us to interpret the Constitution. That's an extremely bad argument. There are obviously certain things that are federal laws because we all agree they cannot be legal in any capacity. Abortion, you can argue, should be one of those. I certainly think that it should be beyond dispute that there should be some sort of federal limit. And this is, I know I just got through bashing Nikki Haley, but perhaps she has the most prudent answer here because she says, hey, let's make a 15-week abortion ban. Now, that's still way too far along. Those of us who are pro-life like myself don't think abortion should be legal in any capacity, perhaps, except unless the life of the mother is in jeopardy. So a 15-week ban is not what we ideally want. But remember, you have to be strategic in national politics. The left has been very strategic. They will use anything at their disposal to accomplish their goal. They'll continue to slowly move the Overton window to the left. And that's exactly what they've done in cultural issues over the years. Uh, just 10 years ago, if you would have said, oh, you know, it should be legal to have an abortion at nine months, you would have been on the fringe. But now that's pretty much like a mainstream democratic opinion <laughs> uh, in, in some states. I think I like Minnesota passed it not too long ago. You can have an abortion all the way through birth. Uh, New York celebrated that, I believe. Um, so this is, this is turning mainstream very quickly. And it's because they strategically moved the conversation to the left. Uh, they did this when it came to gay rights, quote-unquote, transgender rights, quote-unquote. Um, they didn't start out saying, you know, we should have drag queens read kindergartners' stories in their underwear. That's not how it started, but they, that's where they wanted to end up. And if you know anything about queer theory, uh, which we'll cover on this podcast in the coming weeks and months, um, that's where they wanted this to end up. That's where the radicals always wanted this to end up. And that's where it has ended up. But they slowly moved the needle. They were more strategic in what they were doing. So I think if we want to eventually get to something like a federal heartbeat bill, where it is illegal in all 50 states to have an abortion after a heartbeat is detected, if we want to get there, you can't just immediately propose it right now. Because this is an issue that will lose Republicans' elections. Now, I'm not saying that, that you should just say things in order to win elections. That's not what makes something right or wrong. I'm saying we sometimes have to be strategic in what we're doing. We can't fight every battle at once. If you propose a six-week federal ban on abortion 
in a general election, you will lose. That is a guarantee. We saw how badly it hurt, though I'm not saying it was a bad thing, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, how badly it hurt Republicans in the midterms. Republicans should have swamped the Democrats in the 2022 midterms, and a lot of polling data showed us that they didn't, in some part, because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Even though, again, if people were paying attention and were high-information voters, they would know that that just takes it back to the states where it's always been. It didn't make abortion illegal or something in every state. It turns it back to the states where it always was until Roe v. Wade. Nonetheless, though, abortion will lose conservatives' elections, especially in swing states uh, and on a national level. That's just a fact. So if we want to fight this nonsense, and if we want to incrementally move the needle on abortion, we probably need to do what Nikki Haley said and run on a 15-week abortion ban because that is very popular and a lot of people agree with that. Maybe some of the hardcore Democrats don't. Some of the hardcore people in those state legislatures and places like Minnesota don't. But it is popular among the American people. So I think Nikki Haley, um, though she didn't have many good answers (laughs) during the debate, I think she was right that we need to be honest Even if you wanted to implement the six-week ban, you're not going to have 60 Senate votes and you're not going to have a majority of the House. That's just not going to happen. And you will lose the presidency if you ran on that anyway. So I think we do have to be more strategic when we're doing something like abortion. Now, then you have culture war questions, basically. Uh, We're asked about a, a national identity. And Mike Pence came out against Vivek here. And basically, long story short, uh, because I'm assuming everybody's watched the debate that is is watching this, but if you haven't, long story short, uh, Mike Pence basically said that we need a government as good as our people. That you can't conflate the bad government with the American people. He said the American people are freedom loving. The American people are, are good Christian people. And we just need government that represents that. And Vivek was like, Actually, (laughs) uh, this is not how things are right now. Actually, we are in a cold civil war, I believe is what he had called it. And this is the generational divide between older Republicans and younger Republicans. Older Republicans, not really due to any fault of their own. It's just because they grew up in a different time and they're not as connected to the culture as those of us who are younger may be. But they're under the impression that, you know, Things are still pretty good in America. Uh, we still share fundamental values. We just we've had some bad government lately, and if we could just if we could just change the government in Washington D.C., then we would be much better off, and everything would be okay. Now we do need to change the government in Washington D.C., obviously. But what Vivek is saying is no. It's not as simple as we need government that represents the people. We need we need government that that is just like the people. He is saying no. Vivek is saying no. We're dealing with communists here. We're dealing with people who are wanting to perform double mastectomies on 15-year-olds. Okay? We are, we are dealing with people who want abortion through birth. We are dealing with people who hate America. That's not every Democrat. Of course not. But it's an increasingly large percentage of them, as is reflected in some of these state laws. We have people who cannot even agree that transgender 
surgery should not be legal until at least they're 18 years old. Of course, I don't think it should be illegal at all. I don't think it should be legal at all. I think this is something that conservatives need to say out loud. And I don't even think Vivek has said this. I think he has said, you know, they, they, they need to be 18 because it's like a big decision. But guess what? Just real quick. This is not just a big decision. It's not like getting a tattoo. Well, you need to be 18 because, you know, it's a permanent thing. And uh, it, it, it's, it's something that you need to be a little older before you decide to do it. That gives legitimacy to the action. It is not legitimate for a man to walk into a doctor's office and, and want to be castrated. That's not legitimate. That's not something that a doctor should ever do. That person needs mental help. If somebody walked into a doctor and they said, doctor, I really feel like I identify as somebody without arms and I would like you to cut off my arms. I need to be my true self. I need to live my truth. This is who I am. You can't stop me from being who I am. A conservative wouldn't say, well, as long as they're 18, I suppose they could cut off both of their arms. No, a conservative would say that person needs help. It's not compassionate to, to give in to that person's fantasy, to feed the fire. That person needs serious intervention. That's what we need to be saying about the transgender stuff in general. But I know people don't want to say that. At the bare minimum, we need to be able to agree that it can't happen until they're at least adults, but we can't even agree on that. And that's why people like Vivek say, we are in a, a time of a cold cultural war. We are on the brink. We are going through rather a cultural revolution. It's not just that people have the same fundamental values and we disagree on exactly how to get to the, the desired de uh, designation. And if we would just elect people who represented those values, then we would be better off. That's not what's going on. And so Vivek represents the younger Republicans and saying, you know, this is, everything's not all good. We don't have fundamental agreements anymore. We disagree on fundamentally what it means to be an American, what it means to be good, what it means to be just. We disagree on those things. We disagree on what it means to be a man or a woman. Next. They got to the Trump arrests and convictions. I won't say much about this other than they asked uh, everybody, hey, you know, if if you won, if, if you became president, would you pardon Donald Trump on day one? And Vivek, of course, raises his hand. Some people like Pence, some people like Asa Hutchinson, Christie, they say no, you know, I mean, they, they didn't say like, I, Mike Pence didn't say no for sure. He said he would have to review it. He'd have to consider it. But I, I think this is bogus, and this is what Vivek really did a good job at, was explaining that these are political, these are blatantly political charges. We cannot normalize political opponents and people like in the DOJ weaponizing the law against political enemies. We cannot normalize that. And so Vivek did a good job of saying, yeah, I'm going to pardon Donald Trump if I win because we cannot... Um, we cannot normalize this. This cannot become a part of the political process. I think it has to be that straightforward. No nuance. No, I'll review it. No, this or that from Mike Pence or Chris Christie. Chris Christie's like, we have to stop normalizing this behavior. What do you mean we have to stop normalizing this behavior? Donald Trump questioned the 2020 election. Good. They were literally boarding up the windows in Philadelphia so people couldn't watch them. They had 
they, they said pipes busted in Georgia when they didn't actually bust. And now we know they didn't bust, but they still counted anyway. We all went to sleep thinking Donald Trump won. The betting markets had Trump at like 90% was going to win. We all wake up, oh, it's, it's gone the other way. We'll talk maybe more about the 2020 election. I, I prefer to talk about the future um, as we go forward. But yes, Trump questioned the election. Hillary questioned the election in 2016. The Democrats questioned the election in 2000 uh, when Al Gore was convinced he won Florida. This happens. There's a process for it. No, Trump maybe should not have done some of the things he did. He shouldn't have told everybody, hey, don't vote in the Georgia Senate races. People like Ben Shapiro have been on that since day one. Donald Trump, yes, cost Republicans the Senate by telling people not to vote for the Senate races in Georgia. I agree with that. But we shouldn't normalize this behavior, Chris Christie. It is not. this Again, this goes back to who do you blame for the way that politics are right now? If you think this started with Donald Trump, then you're going to blame Donald Trump. But Donald Trump did what many others have done. Question election results. He did not call for an insurrection. Anybody who says there was an insurrection on January 6th is not a serious person. There was one person killed that day. It was an unarmed, five foot nothing, 120 pound nothing woman named Ashley Babbitt. Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt. You know her name. She was killed. Nobody else was killed that day. That's the fact. There was no insurrection. People were walking through uh, Congress very calmly for the most part. Yes, there was some violence. No, it wasn't a good thing. Yes, people who beat police officers should have been thrown into prison. Yes, there were FBI informants on the ground, people like Ray Epps, encouraging people to go into the Capitol. All of this is true. We shouldn't normalize this behavior. You can't blame everything on Donald Trump. Donald Trump has done some things he shouldn't do. So have other presidents. You can't use that as an excuse to say, well, you know, we'll have to consider whether we give him a pardon or not. No, there's no considering. There's no nuance. He gets a pardon day one because these are political charges and everyone knows it. And you cannot normalize that behavior. You definitely can't normalize that kind of behavior. And so before we can start talking about the rest, what Trump should or shouldn't do, what we should or shouldn't do when we lose an election, you have to stop the political persecution of people like him and his lawyers and people who were in solitary confinement for a year plus after January 6th. That's what you have to stop. That's what you can't normalize Chris Christie. And when Chris Christie says that kind of stuff, that's why people like me have no faith in establishment GOP types. That's not the battle. Trump shouldn't have done some things. Yes, Trump should not tweet from his toilet at 3 a.m. that King John, Kim Jong-un is the rocket man and be like talking about nuclear war back and forth with him on Twitter. No, Trump did, did some things he shouldn't have done, <laughs> okay? I think everybody agrees. Nobody is saying Trump was perfect. But none of that is an excuse for normalizing his political persecution. And anybody who wants to nuance that or hesitate when they're asked if they're going to pardon him shouldn't get our vote. Shouldn't get our vote. So Vivek did a good job there. All right, last issue, climate change. Oh, they had the Young Americans Foundation. They got some kid, probably 19 years old. He got on there, 
And he said, hey guys, what are you going to do to dispel the fears of young people who think that climate change is our number one issue? What are you going to do to dispel their fears that the Republican Party is just denying climate change? Well, I think Jesse Kelly had a really good um, (laughs) clip on this. He basically said, kids believe stupid things all the time. But you kids don't run the country. And at some point, conservatives are going to have to, and it's going to have to be strategic. But I think it can be much more blatant. We can be much more blatant in our quote-unquote denial of climate change than we could in our aggressiveness in trying to ban abortion. Because abortion is the number one issue for people. Climate change, though people may say they care about it, I don't think climate change is moving the needle in elections. Okay, at the end of the day, People are still going to run their ACs. They're still going to drive their trucks, their cars. They're, they're still going to have refrigerators. I mean, people will say they believe in climate change, but I mean, let's be real. Most people just still are going to live and, and burn fossil fuels and, and use energy because we like our modern way of life. Okay. So I don't think climate change is moving the needle. Um, I do think it's moving the needle in reality. I don't think it's moving the needle in elections, but I think it's moving the needle in reality uh, because as Vivek said, This anti-carbon agenda is anti-human and it is the wet blanket on our economy. So not to talk too much about climate change now, perhaps it can come up at a later time on another podcast, but basically I think we just need to stop beating around the bush when it comes to climate change. Um, And Vivek said that. He said, we need to stop with the anti-carbon agenda. We need fossil fuels to prosper. All of these regulations and all of this, oh, we're not going to drill for oil on our own land. We're not going to sign new oil leases and gas leases that drives up gas prices and it hurts the economy. Okay. So we just need to stop looking at 19 year old kids and saying, you know what? We can control the weather. (laughs) Like, like we can, we can control the weather and we're going to take that seriously. And we're going to stop making the world hotter. No, look, the world's over 4 billion years old. Climate's been changing for billions of years. There's been what, seven extinction level events or something like that. I think that's what scientists say, seven extinction level events. There's been times where the earth was really hot. There's been times where we had ice ages. Climate changes. Humans do not control the weather. Saying that humans can have can largely control the weather. I'm not saying that, you know, if you put enough carbon in the air, the world might not warm by, you know, half a degree Celsius or something in a hundred years. But I'm saying that man-made activity is not going to make California be swallowed up by the ocean. And you shouldn't think that either. And people should not tell kids that. And if kids have been told that, we should just tell them, no, they're stupid. That's a stupid idea. (laughs) it's not only a stupid idea, it's an anti-human idea. If you have an anti-carbon agenda, that is ultimately an anti-human agenda because to eliminate carbon is to eliminate human prosperity and for for some people to to eliminate humans themselves. The anti-carbon agenda is driven by the same people who say the earth is overpopulated. Well, what's their solution to overpopulation? Killing people, okay? So, Anti-carbon agendas are anti-human agendas. And at the very minimum, 
They are anti-human prosperity agendas. So we shouldn't lie to people. We shouldn't lie to these kids and tell them, yeah, we, we take climate change very seriously. No, we don't. If the technology advances and we're one day able to run off of electric and, and nuclear, then fine. But we can't right now. We're not even close to having the infrastructure to do that. And we need fossil fuels to survive and to prosper. We certainly need it. And the third world definitely needs it. So we're not going to give it up. That's what we should say. Vivek said that. The rest of them were kind of like, oh, yeah, we'll take it seriously. You know, Nikki Haley said climate change is real. Man-made climate change is real. But also uh, the way that Biden is handling it is not right. All these subsidies for green energy, they're not good for us. Da, 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 da. You heard it before a million times. But I think the real, the, the answer that we need to give is, hey, we're going to deny this political science here. We're going to say, no, the climate agenda is anti-human. It is a religion and it is a bad religion. And we're going to stop caving to it. We're going to unleash our economy and we're going to stop unnecessarily paying $4 in gas because some people fear that California is going to be engulfed by the ocean because all of the cows are farting. Okay, I mean, let's just stop with the nonsense. So Vivek had the best answer there. Of course, one more thing on that. Fox News has fallen off a cliff, obviously. Letting that question in was embarrassing. But also, they were like, well, there's a tropical storm that's going to hit California for the first time in 84 years. And the heat in the South, the Southwest broke, broke records that were 50 years old. Again, can we just stop and think about something for two seconds? 84 years. There hasn't been a tropical storm hit California in 84 years. Okay. It hit it 84 years ago when there was much less carbon output, I guess. <laughs> so um, there were still tropical storms then. There were tropical storms that I'm sure hit California thousands and millions of years before that. Just because a tropical storm hadn't hit California in 84 years or because it was hotter now than it was at any time in the past 50 years, is that supposed to prove that man-made climate change is this apocalyptic worry? The answer is no. That doesn't prove anything. 50 years ago, we set the records in the Southwest for this heat, and then we went 50 years without breaking it, all while admitting, emitting out all this carbon. Oh, it's very frustrating. The whole conversation is extremely frustrating because it is so corrupt, and, and, and the things that are brought up to try to justify the existence of man-made climate change that's going to result in an apocalyptic result it's going to result in it's going to result in an apocalypse those things make no sense and it's really frustrating to see it over and over and over again have an impact on our policy it's really frustrating when i pull up to the gas station and i pay double what i was paying simply because we don't want to drill on our own land because of climate change overall vivek was just smarter than everyone else on the debate stage. Other than perhaps DeSantis, though again, DeSantis, no personality, no charisma, probably needs to drop out of the race. On the next debate, no one needs to be up on the stage except for uh, DeSantis and Vivek. Uh, I would prefer if it was just Vivek and Trump. So 
that's the debate in a nutshell. There's more that we could have talked about. There's more that could be said on something like climate change or their, their responses on abortion or um, foreign policy, but we'll move on. I think that was sufficient enough. All right, so every every podcast episode, we will have a, a section where we explicitly deny some sort of political science. We've already done some of that, <laughs> of course, today, but specifically this week, we're going to talk in this section about um, the Barbie movie. One last time, if you haven't seen it, uh, go to our YouTube channel, the Barbie movie. We, we did a deep dive. It was like an hour and 20 minutes where I talked about everything from the marketing to the message and all that. So I won't do that here. If you're, if you're interested in that, you can go check out our, our YouTube uh, channel. But uh, short version, the culture says that Barbie is a hit and that Barbie is a great thing and that Hollywood should make more movies by women and for women. That's the sentiment. That's the prevailing wisdom that we've seen since this movie came out. But the movie is not egalitarian and it is not pro-woman, I would argue. It is anti-man, certainly, but it's not pro-woman. The movie is anti-woman because it's anti-nature. The movie vilifies men and is going to make men weak. This is going to lead to misery for women. Women need men. Men need women. And when you have a movie like the Barbie film, which is explicitly fourth wave feminist trash, as opposed to being some kind of egalitarian message as some have tried to say, you have a movie and a message that cuts at the core of what society needs to be. And what society needs to be, what we need to be pushing in our society is the nuclear family. We need to be pushing marriage between a man and a woman that gives kids stable households, that gives men and women stable relationships, that gives women protection, that gives men focus and drive. They need to take care of their wife. They need to take care of their kids. What happens to men when they don't get married? Well, they usually fall into crime. What happens to women when they don't get married? Well, as we mentioned in the review that you can check out on our website or on our YouTube channel, it makes women miserable ultimately. This doesn't mean that every single person, every single woman has to get married. And it doesn't mean that every single man has to get married. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying on the whole is that men and women need each other. Most people want to get married. Most people want to have children. The context wherein that needs to happen is the marital covenant between a man and a woman. If it happens in any other context, it will lead to misery and despair for both men and women, as well as their children. So the culture has said that the Barbie film was a good thing, that it was a good hit. It was good for little girls to watch. It was good for college-age women to watch, and it was empowering. I say, though, it was really a bad thing, and I wish it wouldn't have been a win for the left, though it was, admittedly, a win for them in this particular instance in the culture war. Hopefully, though, that's the last thing that we have to say about that movie until the sequel inevitably comes in the next few years. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been long enough today. I appreciate you tuning in to the Political Science Deniers podcast. Um, if, you, if you are interested in supporting our work, go to our website, 
Um, if you want to see more about what we do, we have information there. You can financially support us. You can support us by checking out our content, by reading our articles, by going to our YouTube channel, watching our videos, or just by listening to these podcasts. Uh, we appreciate your support and we will see you next time.